My name is not Amanda either, so now we're at 50-50, but I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. We are continuing on in our series in 1 Corinthians, and the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church in Corinth that really is not getting things right. And out of all the issues that Paul addresses in this letter, he chooses right off the bat to focus on the message of unity and trying to get that church back on track because they were scattered about just pursuing their own agendas, their own preferences, or they were more devoted to a ministry leader than being united as a church and serving God first and foremost and being all about that mission as the church. And I think a big reason for their disunity as a church is because they lost focus on the power of God. And I'm sure a lot of us could come up with some illustrations for how it really doesn't work out so well when you're cut off from power. My grandpa used to tell me this story about his grandpa. So I'm going to try to get all the grandpas right. But when my grandpa was younger, his grandpa was very hard of hearing. This man could not even tell if a vacuum cleaner was running or not. Just couldn't even hear it. And so when he would be vacuuming the floor, my grandpa would unplug the vacuum. And this man would just keep going through the motions, vacuuming the floor, not realizing that he was not connected to power. Because, I mean, come on. How many of us have had those moments where we try to vacuum up a piece of fuzz and we just keep running the vacuum over and over again? We put the vacuum aside, reach down, pick up that fuzz, throw it in the trash can. So being disconnected from power and losing focus on that Not so good. And my hope for us as a church is that we will focus on the power of God and that we won't just go through the ministry or the motions of doing ministry and forget what it's all about. So this morning, if you'd like to follow along with me, we are continuing on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're picking up in verse 18 where we left off last Sunday. It'll also be up here on the screen to follow along. This is what it says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Oftentimes, uh, throughout this message, I'm going to be talking about the message of the cross. And what I mean by that is the gospel or the good news. Whenever you see the word gospel in the Bible, It really just means the good news about Jesus. And so the message of the cross is all about what God did to make a way for us to have a relationship with him and be with him for all of eternity in heaven. And God had to step in and intervene because he is holy and perfect and we are broken and sinful And our sin is anything that goes against God. And because we all have sin in our lives from day one of our existence, we are cut off from having a relationship with God. Now that's some pretty bad news. But what makes it good news is that God met us in the midst of our brokenness. And he sent his very own son, Jesus, to come to the earth and to live among men. And Jesus didn't come in a display of power. He wasn't paraded around by angel armies. He was born into a manger. Jesus didn't do anything to overthrow the Roman government and to set up his own physical kingdom on earth. 
Instead, Jesus looked like just a normal guy. And Jesus had a following of people. And of his followers, he had fishermen, tradesmen, even a tax collector. And Jesus just went about teaching about heaven and doing miracles to point to the truth of his message. But then, as he was gaining momentum, he was arrested by the religious leaders and crucified by the Romans on that cross. And up there on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God for sin in the place of sinners, so that anyone who believes in Jesus, that he is truly the Son of God, and that what he did on the cross is enough for us to have a relationship with God. If you believe in that, then you can have a relationship with him and experience eternal life. And then Jesus, after being crucified, rose again after three days to prove that he is victorious over sin and death. Now there are two responses to this message, the message of the cross. To some people, those who are not believers, they they hear this and they think, it's just foolishness. It sounds crazy that that God would intervene in a way like this, or this is just the story of some religious book. But then, to those who truly are followers of Jesus, this is what Christianity is all about. This is what gives us unity as a church, because this message is the power of God. And even though the rest of the world might think that this message is just straight-up foolishness, What we read from this passage is that the wisdom of God is far superior to the wisdom of the world. So if you'd like to keep on reading with me, I'll be in verse 19. And it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Now that first verse that we read there is actually a quotation from the book of Isaiah. And if we were to keep on reading a little bit further in that chapter of Isaiah, we would come across an illustration that just shows how crazy it is to think that we know better than God. And so let's go ahead and look at that illustration from Isaiah chapter 29, where this is Isaiah speaking to the Jewish people. He says, You turn things upside down, as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, You know nothing? I think everybody who's had a halfway decent childhood has ever made one of those uh, snakes out of Play-Doh. You know when you roll up a ball like this and then you roll it out on the table and you make a Play-Doh snake. Now can you imagine making a Play-Doh snake and then that snake looking up at you and being like, you didn't make me. In fact, you don't know anything. That's so backwards and pretty insulting. Now this is what most people do to God. God has created all of humanity He's given us rational minds to think and to learn and to grow. And then we turn around to God and say, 
You didn't create us. We attribute creation to some cosmic explosion that's not at all related to God. Or then they look at the Bible and they just think that it's a collection of religious fairy tales. Or they think that they know better than God on issues of right and wrong. And so the question that we're left with is, who is wiser? Who knows better, God or the humans that he has created? And even though God knows better, there are still so many people in this world, people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who think that God's way of salvation and the message of the cross is just foolishness. We'll keep on reading in verse 21. It says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs. The Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And so there's all kinds of hang-ups for these people to accept the message of salvation. For most Jews, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the world to save people from their sins. Because they were anticipating the Messiah to come in a display of power and to crush the Roman government and set free the Jewish people. They weren't expecting Jesus, this humble man, to come around to teach of heaven and not do anything about setting up a physical kingdom on earth just as they had pictured it. And on top of that, Jesus didn't follow all the extra rules of their religious system and so in the eyes of the Jews, Jesus was a misbehaving Jew and a troublemaker. And then on top of that, Jesus was arrested and crucified and went through a terribly awful and shameful death on the cross. The Jews were looking for a powerful Messiah. They were not looking for a crucified Savior. And so this message of salvation just seemed like foolishness to them. And then we have the Greeks, and these guys are all about the newest philosophy or looking into knowledge and wisdom. So there were some Greeks who would say that the means to the best life is through virtue and morality. And then there's other philosophies among the Greeks saying that the highest pursuit in life is to just chase after pleasure. But the Greeks well, they wouldn't think that following a crucified Savior is the way to the best life. And so this message just seems like foolishness to them. Now, maybe you don't fall into any of those camps, or those aren't the kind of philosophies that are going around today. But I think one of the most common beliefs is that all religions can lead to heaven. And what's shocking to me is, just according to this study, that 58% of people who call themselves Christians would say that any religion can lead to heaven and that the cross of Jesus isn't essential. And I, I know that it can sound 
really intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way. But this feels like a kick in the gut to me because it's really saying that Jesus and what he did on the cross, it wasn't even necessary. Why would Jesus need to come and die on the cross if there are other ways to get to heaven? And I think that any religion that says that Jesus and the cross is not necessary is really a false religion because our salvation comes from the cross. Jesus said himself in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I know that God's way of salvation can seem a little crazy. I, I can't say that I know exactly what God was doing when he put these things together. But just two observations that I can make from the way God did things is that the cross shows us two things about God. One of the things that the cross shows us is his immense love for us. That even in our sin and brokenness, Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. There is no greater sacrifice that could ever be made than for Jesus himself to give up his life on the cross. And this isn't like taking a bullet for a friend. This is more like taking a bullet for an enemy because Jesus died for us even when we were lost and broken in sin. And so the cross, it shows us the love of God. And the other thing is that the cross shows us that God himself is the only way for us to have a relationship with him. There is no other way. Because the Bible says elsewhere that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so if we look into the Old Testament, we would see that the Jews would sacrifice sheep and goats every time that they would sin. And they would shed the blood of these animals because God would look at that shed blood and forgive them of their sins. But that was only a temporary solution because the blood of goats and sheep, it can never truly take away sin. And so when Jesus came to earth and lived the perfect life, he was the perfect once and for all sacrifice for all of sin. And it is only through believing in Jesus that he was that perfect sacrifice and that we can have forgiveness from God through believing in him that we can be saved. And I know it sounds kind of intolerant, a little bit exclusive, and the world thinks of it as foolish. On top of that, unbelievers tend to think that Christians are pretty foolish. And so this is what it says in verse 26. It says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord.
Now, when I read this verse, I feel like Christians are being called cotton-headed ninny-muggins. Like, the, the people looking at the Corinthian church, and they're being like, hey, you're not wise. You're not influential. You're not of noble birth. So basically, you're like a nobody. And God could have made it so that being a Christian is associated with success, popularity, and status. But then maybe people would want to be Christians for all the wrong reasons. And instead, God chose to build his church just out of normal people that the rest of the world thinks of as foolish. And I know this verse might sound like God only uses weak and foolish people to accomplish great things in ministry, but I don't think that's really what this verse is saying. So if we've asked you to be a small group leader or serve in kids' ministry, it's not because we think that we are weak and foolish. I think the church is full of smart and gifted people. And in fact, God has given believers in the church spiritual gifts and ministries for the purpose of building up the church. But from the outside world, we look like we are weak and foolish. But God and his way of doing things kind of flips that around. Yes, we might look weak and foolish, but it is to us that Jesus has given righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And righteousness is really a big word for talking about having a right standing with God. Holiness is all about being set apart by God. And to be redeemed means that God has bought you back out of a life of sin and darkness and has called you to be a son or a daughter in his kingdom. And what we have from Jesus is not for us to boast about as if we can take credit for that. It's not so that we can be like, ha, we got it right, and shove that in the face of the people who think that we are weak and foolish. Because it is all to the credit of God. When we win, it is because of the cross. And so if we're going to brag about anything, let's brag on the grace of God and the salvation that he has offered us. When I think about my life growing up, I grew up in a home where my parents were Christians and they taught me the Bible at a young age. That is by the grace of God that I was born into a family like that. And I also had friends growing up who were in Christian homes and then they just walked away from God and didn't take their faith seriously. And so it is really by the grace of God that I not only heard the gospel, but that the Holy Spirit worked in my heart so that I would take seriously the message of salvation and live for God. And when I think about the kind of person that I would be if I was not a follower of Jesus, I really can't even imagine, can't even imagine the kind of trouble that I would be in if it wasn't for Jesus. And so I'm just so thankful for God's grace and his mercy in my life. And I want to take the time to brag on God about that. Uh, this last week, I was talking to one of my pastor friends who is on staff at Restored Church in Wilkesbury, and he was telling me about this uh, discipleship training program that they're doing within the church. And one of the first steps in this program is they teach people to share their story and about 
two to three minutes, their story of what God has done in their life to get them to where they are now. And it's so amazing in this church is they just have a culture now where they talk about their stories and what God has done in their lives. If there's a new person that comes into church, there will be people who will be like, oh, you got to meet so-and-so and hear their story. And when's the last time we shared our stories with somebody to just brag on God and his amazing grace in our lives or to share our stories to talk about the message of salvation to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. Because there is nothing more life-changing than the message of the cross. That is why our message should be about the cross. And Paul is such a good example for us to follow. When we look at his passion and his urgency for taking the message of the cross to people who don't yet know Jesus So in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul goes on to say, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you with weakness in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, from the start, at face value, it might look like Paul's advocating for a really not attractive way of public speaking. But I don't think that Paul had a bunch of obnoxious quirks when it came to public speaking. I don't think he would write a sermon manuscript and then read it in a monotone voice, the message of the cross. I don't think that's what he's getting at here. But from the time period that Paul is writing this, what would happen is there would be auditoriums packed out with thousands of people just to hear the next philosopher or the best, most eloquent speaker And they would go to these auditoriums to hear these people because they're living in a time when they don't have Netflix or Hulu or anything like that. And this is kind of their entertainment. And Paul is saying here that he's not trying to just gather a crowd for people to listen to him. He's not trying to give the next best TED Talk or be the most eloquent speaker. But what he's saying is he wants to take the message of the cross to people who need to hear it. And the message of the cross is not delivered in power that comes from his delivery or his own wisdom, but the power of this message, it comes from the Holy Spirit and from God who works in the hearts of people. This last few weeks, I've been going to the gym and talking to this guy who has some pretty interesting spiritual beliefs. And so I just ask him questions. I try to get to know what he believes and just keep this ongoing conversation with him. But I'm pretty sure that if I just came at him with arguments for why God is real and why he should believe the Bible, I don't think he'd be like, that's an amazing argument. I haven't heard that one before. I think I want to be a Christian now. That's not really how it works. And so I ask him these questions and keep up a conversation just to get to know him, to be a friend to him, and to give the opportunity to talk to him about the faith that I have in Jesus and the message of salvation. And then if he was to come to faith in Jesus, it would be through the power of the Holy Spirit 
just working in his heart. And the power of the message of the cross, and it should be comforting to know, is it doesn't really come from us. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to be the best kind of public speaker and have the smoothest presentation because the power of this message comes from the Holy Spirit. And you could probably think of some people in your life and you think, I could never imagine them coming to Jesus. You can't imagine them saying, sure, I'll give up living life the way that I want to live it just to follow Jesus. Because it might seem like foolishness to them. But that's where the Holy Spirit can step in. And it's no harder for God to save that person than it is for God to save you. And as we close out this morning, I just want to leave us with some points of application And so right off the bat is believe the message of the cross. Maybe you've been coming to church uh, off and on, or you're just trying to get an idea of what Christianity is all about. Maybe you're not even sure if you are saved. And I really want to encourage you just to talk to maybe somebody that you came with. You could always talk to me in between any of the services, and there's tons of people here who would love to connect with you and talk about whatever next step you might have in your faith journey. Now to those of us who have maybe been Christians for a long time now, my challenge for you is to not lose focus on the cross. When I was in high school, I took math classes that taught me all kinds of things about math, like geometry, fractions, logarithms. Don't ask me what a logarithm is now. I don't remember. Because I would study for these classes And then as soon as I graduated from high school, I totally forgot all of that stuff. And so I probably have the math level of a third grader right now. And I use a calculator for everything. And my challenge for us as a church is that we would never feel like we've graduated from needing the message of the cross. And that we would realize that each and every day our need for God and to thank him for what Jesus did for us on the cross. So just some ways that we can keep our focus on the cross. One of those ways is you can read your Bible, do devotions throughout uh, your week. Another way you can focus on the cross is listen to Christian music. And another way you can do that is to just thank God when you pray. When you pray to God, just say things like, God, thank you so much for the salvation that I have in Jesus because I don't deserve that. And part of that is about thanking God, but some of that is about just for us to get in that right mindset and to thank him for what he has really done for us. Another thing that we can work on is take the message of the cross to people who don't yet know Jesus. And I'm sure that all of us here in this room can think of one person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. When I was younger, I used to think that talking about the gospel meant that I needed to start in Genesis and pretty much walk somebody through the whole narrative of the Bible. But it's okay to have these conversations in just little bits and pieces. And I think it is the greatest joy probably to lead somebody to faith in Jesus. And I hope that everybody here in this room would be able to experience that joy. And so my challenge for you this week is to just have one spiritual conversation with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and then lastly, to pray for that person 
every day. We can do our part in talking about the message of the cross, but for that message to really take root in somebody's heart, it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's be praying for that person each and every day and expect God to show up in some pretty incredible ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a wise and a strong God, that we really don't have to doubt that. And God, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And your love for us is beyond what we can even imagine. And I thank you for the demonstration of your love when you sent Jesus to die on that cross in our place. I thank you that you made a way for us to have a relationship with you because it is only through you that we can be with you forever. We can't get there any other way. We can't get there by doing good works or being a good person. And I just thank you for all the reasons that you have given for us to praise you and to give you thanks. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.